We're going to invite our uh, children who normally would exit at this time to stay in the room with us. On the last Sunday of the month, we keep uh, our kids in the room and let them worship in big church. Again, it's good to have you at Freedom, and it's a joy to welcome in those of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you be a part of uh, Freedom in that way. We're in a series, a very short series that we started last Sunday, entitled Hearing God's Voice. There's nothing more fundamental once you come to faith than what we're talking about right now. And I don't know of anything that uh, the people that I interact with seem to struggle with more than this issue. Would you agree with that? That this is a real challenge to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord. So uh, we're going to really just talk about two things today. going to try and, and address two basic questions. How does God speak to us? And how do you know that it's God as opposed to your own thoughts or the voice of the enemy or, you know, some other goofy voice that's out there? You think those are two, two questions worth getting answered? Then stick around. That's what we're going to press into. Um, it has been said, and rightly so, I think, that when God speaks to us, we call that inspiration. And when the devil speaks to us, that's called temptation. And then when we come up with an idea of our own, that's called stupidity. That's, that's pretty close to true a lot of the time, isn't it? Well, that's what a lot of what we want to sort out today, is learning to recognize what's God and what's not. What's the voice of the enemy and, and what's just us. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say as a disclaimer for some of you who've been around for more than a couple of years at Freedom, some of what I'll share in the first half of the message is going to be familiar uh, for you, but a lot of us haven't been here for very long. And so uh, at, at the risk of, of repeating something that I've shared before, it's important enough that we start with what I'm going to start with today. In answering the question, how is it that God speaks to us? It really helps to understand how God has made us if you're going to understand how God speaks to us. Paul said... In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you'll see there at the top of your outline. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body. Everybody say those three together. Spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. The God that we know, the one true living God, is one God who always exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has made us in his image, and a part of how we reflect his image is not that we are three persons in, in one body, but that there are three distinct parts to who we are. It's, it's our reflection of the Trinity, that image imprinted in us. Those three parts are body, soul, and spirit. And in order to understand how God speaks to us, it helps to know something about the three parts that make you up. So I'm going to just use sort of three points on the stage to talk about the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now, we're all very familiar with the body and how it works. We, we get that the body is the first thing that we encounter when we meet somebody new. We, we judge them by how they look. We judge them by the body and how... How well it's made up and fluffed up and how skinny or fat it is. You know, we judge by the body. That's the initial impression that we get. The body is actually a pretty important deal. It is the one part of those three that's not eternal. We're going to wear it out. We're going to use it up. And then we're going to get a new body that is eternal. But for what we know and experience, the body's the temporary piece. But it's a pretty important temporary piece, isn't it? I mean, when the body's tired, we rest it. And when the body's sick, we treat it. We, the body 
for while we're here is an important piece. The body, it not only helps us get around, but the body is the thing that God has given us so that we can take in the world around us, so that we can see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, and hear it. It's through the body that we take in the natural. That's important that you get that. The body is designed so that you can experience and understand something of the natural world. But I think you'd be quick to agree that to get to really know somebody isn't primarily about knowing their body. All of us who've ever gone through puberty remember what it's like that, first of all, we are turned on by the, the body and the face and the appearance. And it's like, ooh, I like her because she looks good. But you get a little bit older and you realize the body is so secondary. The body is just the shell that to really get to know the person is to go way beyond knowing the looks of their body. Isn't that the truth? What you're getting to know is their soul. This is the heart of who they are. This is their personality. There really are, it's pretty much uh, universally understood that there are three primary components to your soul. That is your mind, your emotions, and your will. When you think about your soul, first of all, there's the thinking part of you. The reasoning part, the part of you that wants to figure things out, the part of you that has the capacity to remember things that are important or painful or filled with joy. We we remember, we process, we think at the mind's level. Uh, Secondly, we feel at the heart level. We are emotional beings. We don't just process everything up here. We feel things deeply. But then there is a third part of who we are. There, There is a will to us. Some of you who are parenting kids right now are like, yep, and some are bigger than others. You know, but, but there is a part of us. It's more than just what you think, and it's more than just how you feel. It is that part of you that says, regardless of how I feel, this is what I'm committed to. This is what I will do, and this is what I will not do. You have a will to you. This is your soul. This is your primary makeup. It is who you are. It gets expressed through a body. But this is the eternal part of you. We, we understand that as a, a fundamental part of a Christian worldview... That you don't cease to exist when your body is worn out, right? The soul is going to live on forever. The the you that we know is still going to be there even when your body is laid six feet in the ground. That's your soul. We're all well acquainted with these first two parts. It is the third part that you need to understand. And that is that God has also given you an eternal spirit. Now, if we think of the soul as the central part of who we are. It's the thinking, feeling, decision-making person that I am. We understand that the soul, who is really me, has two different avenues for experiencing everything and everyone around me. I have a body for experiencing and understanding the natural world. And I have a spirit for connecting with, hearing from, and understanding the supernatural. And everybody has this. The problem is, so few people have ever been trained in how to, to pay attention to what they're being fed through their spirit so that they learn to hear from all that's out there beyond the natural world. Now here we are with our, our mind and our heart, all this caught in the center of these two different parts of who we are that have a capacity for taking in the natural world and the supernatural world. But we 
tend to just stay glued to what our bodies are taking in. We're just dialed into what can I see with my eyes and hear with my ears and what can I feel that gives me goosebumps. And we're so dialed in to the natural that we think that we're not hearing anything from the supernatural side through our spirit. And what I would say to you is if you belong to God, God is constantly speaking. And what you have to learn to do is to hear the ways in which he speaks to you. And it's not that complicated. I mean, I think about, you know, I'm closer to Jackie than anyone else here. I know her better. She knows me better than anyone else here. And if you said, well, how does Jackie speak to you? Well, she speaks to me in a lot of different ways. Sometimes she talks to me in words that I can hear with my ears. But other times she talks to me that in words that she does not have to use her lips to communicate. She can just give me a look and I will know I'm in trouble. You know, she can just have that look that says, and so. You know, and I, she didn't have to say it. By just seeing her, she has communicated something. Sometimes she'll send me thoughts and messages by text that I can read. Sometimes she'll send me pictures that are designed to speak to me. Sometimes she'll write me little notes, leave them on my desk or on my mirror. She's speaking to me. In a variety of different ways. And my mind understands this is all the same person who speaks in a variety of different ways. And you're going, this is elementary stuff. I get it. But you need to understand that there's a correlation that God speaks to you in a variety of different ways. All of those that I just named, I have to take in through my body to feed that into my brain. Well, my spirit has a capacity to take in all the different ways that God speaks to me. And it's interesting how what we see and take in in the natural is a reflection of what happens in the supernatural how God speaks to us you see in the same way that my wife can send me messages in terms of images or or things that I would see that would speak to me God does the same thing in my spirit God will speak in a way that when my mind receives it all I see is a picture I may see a face I may see a scene. It may be more like a video. It may be put into motion. Now, that looks like any other thought that you have because we tend to think in terms of pictures in our minds. We think verbally and in terms of pictures. And the confusing thing can be, well, is that not just like every other thought that I've had? Well, it, it becomes critically important that we learn to discern when God is giving us a picture. Sometimes God will speak verbally in a way that we get a message, a verbal message in our minds of what it is that God's saying. Recently, I woke up in the middle of the night, could not go back to sleep, and so I'm laying in bed praying and just spent some time listening. And out of the clear blue, God spoke to me. He spoke to me in two ways. He spoke through an impression. Do you know what I mean when I say an impression? You don't, it's when you don't hear words, and yet you just feel this strong nudge in a particular direction, and you, you just know it in your knower that you're supposed to do something. God brought to mind somebody who is not a, cl- a close friend. It's just an acquaintance, somebody that I see at the gym. I wasn't thinking about this person. I wasn't praying about this person. He brought them to mind, and I felt a strong impression of God saying, I want you to deliver a message to this person. And then he gave me a two-sentence message to deliver to him. And, of course, there's a part of me that's going, Oh, Lord, couldn't you send me to somebody that actually knows me, somebody who's a believer and isn't going to think I'm a fruitcake? Send me to a lost person to tell him God said to tell you this. He's going to think I'm crazy. But it was such a strong impression and such a clear word. Two different ways that God spoke. Well, really, three in all. 
First of all, he gives me a picture of this person in my mind. I can see him. And then I feel a nudge. This is not verbal. It's just an impression. The reason that I'm seeing this person is that God is nudging me. You're supposed to go talk to him. And now a verbal message. Here's what I want you to say to him. Are you with me in that? It's not so different from how we communicate with other people. It's just recognizing that we have the capacity for our minds to process God speaking to us in very similar ways. Through impressions, through these, these nudgings, through pictures, and, and through words. God will use a variety of different ways to speak to us. Now, it's worth noting that, yes, your spirit gives you the ability to to interact with and take in the supernatural, just like your body gives you the capacity to process what's happening in the natural. And, oh, by the way, this is worth saying, too. Take it for what it's worth. I certainly can't prove this. But modern secular mathematicians have proven mathematically that there are at least 28 dimensions of reality. Think about that for a second. Our, our bodies and our minds are, are making sense out of essentially four dimensions of reality. We understand, you know, time, space, matter, energy, th- these fundamental things. We understand, you know, width, height, depth, and time. We understand just a few dimensions But secular mathematicians are proving that there are many, many, many more dimensions of reality that your mind and and body can't take in. They exist around us, but you can't see it with your eyes and you can't hear it with these ears. It's a reminder of the fact that there's a lot more to the world than what you'll ever just see or what you'll ever hear right here. Are you with me? What they're figuring out... In, in a very academic way, is that there is a lot more to life and reality than what could ever be measured in a lab or written about in a textbook. There is a whole supernatural world around us. We get just some little glimpses of that supernatural world in the scriptures. I mean, as a for instance, when Jesus is resurrected and he comes back and he appears to his disciples he has a resurrected body it is a physical body he eats with his disciples he says here you want to feel the holes you want to feel where they pierced my side and they drove spikes in my wrist you can feel it I'm physical but he has a resurrected body it's a prototype of what we're going to receive the kind of body that doesn't ever wear out and it has some pretty cool dimensions to it it's no longer bound by the laws of physics. You see, there are dimensions of reality that defy the laws of physics that operate in the, the realm that we know and can measure. When his disciples are hidden at night behind locked doors, this new resurrected Jesus, he can just pass through walls and pass through doors, and he does so freely. When it's time to return to his father, he's not bound by gravity. He's just gone like a rocket ship. Out of sight, but he doesn't need a rocket. You begin to understand there's more to the world than what we can see. And and the parts of the supernatural world can manifest for us and interact with us. And they do so through our spirits. Now, I, I really kind of wrestled with whether to even mention this. Because I don't want anybody to suddenly... Be like, ooh, that's cool. I want to mess with that. But I I am going to at least acknowledge this. The fact that God has given you a spirit which gives you the capacity to interact with the supernatural 
you need to understand that it not only gives you the capacity to interact with God, but it gives you an ability to interact with the supernatural that is not God. And there's a lot that's supernatural that is not God. That comes in essentially three different forms. Angels, demons, and the dead. And we need to be real clear about this. Of the four things in the supernatural that you have the potential to interact with, God, angels, demons, and the dead, there's only one you ever seek. There's only one you ever pursue, and that is interaction with God. Now, now the word angel in the Greek, angelos, angelos, it means messenger. And God can use his angels to speak to us, and we'll receive that as a message from God. But we don't even seek angels. And we flat out don't seek out encounters with demons or with the dead. You with me? See, that's a completely pagan practice that's forbidden for Christians. But it's the reason why when you see people who practice black magic... Some of them are just big fakes and phonies, but there are others that are so enticing because it's like, wow, it seems like they have got some kind of power. It seems like they've got some kind of inside information, like they know more than another human being should know. Run away from that. Because those are the ones who have learned to dial into what they hear through their spirits. They are hearing from the supernatural, and it ain't God. You see, without apology, there are people out there who will say, oh, we talk with the dead. We can bring you messages from the dead. And sometimes we have such a longing to connect with somebody from the past that we will expose ourselves to the demonic in that way. And the moment you do that, you've given a legal right for a demonic connection that will plague you until the day that it is ever severed through the blood of Jesus and the power of his name. That's not hard to do, but it will stay with you forever unless you go back and break it with the authority that Jesus gives you. So understand, there are people who are dialed into supernatural power, supernatural information. They're hearing things, and they're not from God, and we are never to dabble in that. But in, in a similar way, we need to learn to hone that part of who we are and how we hear from God to begin to recognize that, well, you know, God actually does give me nudges the same way my wife gives me nudges. Men, do your wives ever give you nudges? And that's all they have to do, and you know what you're supposed to do. Give you a nudge that says, why don't you get up and go clean the kitchen? Or, you know, why, why don't you go take the dogs out? They can just give you a nudge. Am I the only one that recognizes what a nudge means? We all, all get nudges in the natural. God gives you nudges. God speaks through pictures. You know, sometimes we just need to learn the discipline of being still and quiet, asking God a question, and then watching for, listening for, and being sensitive to what happens next. Do I see a picture? Does a word or a thought come to mind? Do I feel a a prompting deep inside me? These are ways that God speaks to me. Some of how God can speak to me, obviously, can actually be processed through my body. Okay, that's going on right now, hopefully. Hopefully God is speaking in the course of this service today and you're taking in stuff through your ears and what you're seeing and hearing, what you're seeing on the screen. And so it's easy for us to think, well, this is just how God speaks. He speaks when I read the Bible or when I hear somebody preach or teach. So through my eyes, how I hear God speak. Well, God will confirm that. You, you hear something that now all of a sudden is not just blah, 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 blah. In your spirit, God goes ding, ding, ding. That's what you needed to hear today. 
And in your spirit, he goes, he, he takes just a spoken word and then he drives it deep into your heart and says, this is what I say to you today. And it's like, wow, preacher, the message was just really for me today. You were just spot on. And it's so hilarious how much of the time people will come back and say, I just couldn't believe how much you were just reading my mail when you said da, 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 da. And I'll think, I think I might have said the beginning part of that, but I am sure the rest of that I did not say but I'm not troubled by that because I get it. They heard, the first part of what they heard was what I said. The rest of what they heard was through their spirit when God grabbed hold of that and said, Yeah, that's the first part of a bigger message that I've got for you. And our minds just wrap all that together and go, Wow, preacher, you were on today. And what I want to say is, no, Jesus was just on today. Your spirit was turned on today, and the Spirit of God spoke to your spirit, and your mind comprehended that. That's wonderful when that happens, isn't it? Takes the pressure off of me. It does. I may be cold as a dead fish, but, you know, the Spirit is still alive here today. Okay, I probably should stop there. So, moving on, some of you are worried because you're like, you hadn't even touched the outline. That's okay, we're going to fly through the outline. A lot of the important stuff is just understanding how God speaks to us. But that still leaves us with a fundamental question. So God's speaking. He's speaking in all these different ways. But understand, He's not the only voice in the supernatural that can speak to you. Demons can speak to you, and they do so frequently. We call that temptation. And they speak at the level of our thoughts. They speak at the level of our minds and our souls. By the way, you know, I said your soul has three different parts. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. All of us tend to, to revolve around one of those three. Have you ever noticed that? Some people are really cerebral. We've got to figure everything out. Everything's got to be rational. It doesn't, it's got to make sense for me to buy into it. It's very, very head people. Other people are very heart people. They just operate by what they feel. Everything's, it's got to feel right. And then others are just so disciplined. It is all about the will. It is all about what we have decided we're going to do and what we're not going to do. The enemy understands that capacity in us too. And so he goes to work on, on whichever of those we are. If you're the intellectual, cerebral person, he is going to work on your mind. He's going to try and confuse your thoughts. He's going to try and make you skeptical of hearing the voice of the Lord. When God speaks to you, He, he gives you a nudge. And, and all it is is just a nudge of, I feel like I'm supposed to call this person and check on them. And I have no idea why. You're obedient. If you're obedient to it, then lo and behold, they go, wow, how did you know I needed to hear from you today? I mean, boy, something terrible had happened. I was struggling today. How did you know to call? Well, I didn't. I just felt like I was supposed to. You see, when we're obedient to that, we see the fruit of it. But if you're a cerebral person, the enemy goes to work on that and says, when God gives you a nudge or God gives you an image, he tries to just get you to think about it and pull it apart and rationalize. Well, that doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to call this person. There's no reason for you to do it. You're going to look foolish. What are they going to think? You understand what I'm talking about? All the head people in the room nod your head. You know what that's like. But... you. You sense God telling you something, and before you can get around to doing it, you've got to pull it all apart up in your head. And others of us are heart people. Oh, we feel things so deeply. We need for it to feel right in order to do it. And man, the devil, he goes to work on the heart. 
He messes with your feelings. He tries to confuse you at the level of your feelings. And will people, he'll do the same thing. He'll try and give us a sickness of our will so that we get to the point that we don't have a capacity to stick to anything that we've committed to. So how do we discern what's the voice of God versus the voice of the enemy versus just our own wacky thoughts or ideas? We need tests for that. John said in uh, his first epistle, don't believe everything you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first. Everybody say, test it first. Test it first to see if it really is. You ever have people come to you and tell you, God spoke to me and I've got a word for you. I've got a message for you. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. I don't have enough hands and legs to raise for how many times that has happened to me. There's something about being a preacher. You just draw them like a magnet. People have got a word for you. And sometimes God will speak through that. And other times it is crazy as all get out. John said, you don't have to believe it all. You test it to see if it really is. So I do. I mean, when people come and give me a word that makes no sense to me, I'm not disrespectful. I say, all right, you know, I hear what you're saying. I'll ask questions if I need to for clarification. And I'll just say, all right, I'm going to take that back before the Lord now and see what he says about that. If it's from him, he will confirm it. And if he's not, he'll make that clear as well. Thanks for your time. And we'll move on along. Sometimes that's about the nicest thing you can say to some of the wackiness that people will say. And when they're telling you, God told me this, I've got a comforting word for you. If you've been whacked out, you know, freaked out by people coming and telling you they've got a word from God for you, if... If they've got a word from God for you, God will confirm it to you. You don't have to take it just because they said it. In fact, the scriptures counsel you otherwise. You test what they say. You find out if it came from God. Too many times we're like, but I don't know how. We, you won't leave today not knowing how. Jesus said, anyone who wants to do God's will can test this teaching and know whether it's from God or whether I'm making it up. Once again, he said, you you can test it. You can test whether or not I'm speaking the truth from the Father. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you just very quickly five ways to test a message, a word, an impression, whether it's through somebody else or through your spirit, to go, is this from God or not? Now, this is not five tests that you're supposed to go, okay, every time I think something's from God, I've got to go one, two, three, four, five, and test it all five ways. What you're going to see is these are five questions that serve as five different tools, and you will just use whichever one or ones are appropriate to the situation. And as you'll see, depending on the kind of word or the kind of circumstance, you'll recognize which question to ask. The first one is the most fundamental one, and it is this. Does it agree with the Bible? And we'll extend that thought to say, does it agree with the Bible and does it agree with the character of God? The scriptures are truth. Cover to cover, Genesis to maps. It's truth. And truth does not change. And God's will will never contradict God's word. Maybe we need to say that one again. God's will, his spoken word or impression to you is never going to contradict his written word to you. He doesn't make exceptions. Not when it comes to truth. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away because truth never changes. Most everything else that you can see communicated changes. Science changes. Oh my goodness. What we claim to know, boy, how does it change from one generation to the next. Textbooks change. I remember when I was in grade school and middle school, 
the textbooks were preparing us in science for the next ice age. Do you remember that? That's what was coming next. We're all going to freeze. Anybody notice a change in that? Now we're all going to die because of global warming. You see, the human knowledge changes so much. Computer science textbooks. Oh my goodness, is there anything that changes faster than that? Nobody wants one that's two years old. It's so out of date. All these things change. But the Word of God never changes. You see, part of what the devil will tell you is it's an old book. It's out of date. These are outdated ideas. Truth never changes. It doesn't need to be updated. And I get it. There are plenty of circumstances in your life for which there's not a Bible verse that says, Christopher, you need to go to Ruby Tuesdays for lunch today and you need to sit at a table back in the, in the back patio room. There's no Bible verse that's going to tell you that. If that's what you're supposed to do, it's going to take a prompting from God to do that. We get it. It's not that specific. But there are so many principles, so many truths that are there that when we get to know the entirety of the Word of God... We'll find that in most circumstances, there is a truth from the Word that applies to our circumstance, isn't there? And we just need to be clear that God isn't going to violate His Word. Because sometimes, we're going to feel like, I believe God's just leading me to do this. I believe God spoke to me to do this. I don't hear people say the goofiest things, you know. I've just quit paying my taxes. I just, I feel like God impressed me to do that. That our government has become so wicked. Some of the money in the past has gone to things like Planned Parenthood and things that I don't support, things that I think are evil. And God wouldn't want me to do that, so He's led me not to pay my taxes. No, He has not. He has not. Romans 13, 6 is very clear. Followers of Christ pay their taxes. Jesus said, you render to Caesar what Caesar's. He said that in response to the question of, is it right to pay taxes? Jesus made it clear, yes, you pay taxes. I don't like paying taxes better than anybody else, but I don't get to use the God card to get out of doing what I don't like. And we'll do it. We'll do it in all kinds of things. You know, we get into evangelistic dating relationships when we're single. You start dating the hunk of a guy or the hot girl who's lost as a goose. But we're going to lead them to Jesus. It's going to love them to Jesus. Think the Lord has led me into this. No, he didn't. His word says you are never to be yoked together with an unbeliever. Because light doesn't have anything in common with darkness. That was not the voice of God. That was either the voice of your hormones running wild. Hey, we've got to understand this about ourselves. Your hormones sometimes speak louder than the voice of God. Sometimes much louder. Sometimes we'll think the, the Lord has given us an okay to be a little shady in our business dealings. That is never God. Proverbs speaks so many times about the importance of doing business with integrity. God will never violate his word in what he tells us to do. Paul was so adamant about this that we cannot change or manipulate the truth that God has given us. That he said in Galatians 1.8, let God's curse fall on anyone. Literally anathema. What he's saying is literally may somebody go to hell if they should attempt to do what I'm about to say. And he says, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preach to you. When they try and, and change the truth into something other than what God has put in His Word, He says, may they be cursed for doing that. 
You can't mess with the Word of God. That's our first test. Does it line up with the Word of God and the character of God that's revealed in His Word? Second test is this. Does my church family confirm this? Paul said in Ephesians 3.10, God's intent was that now through the church, everybody say through the church, through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. God makes his wisdom known through the collective ear and voice of the church. Now this is a big one. Obviously, God's going to speak to you countless times throughout the day, the week, the year. And you don't have to run to the church and say, hey, church, I think God led me to do this this week. What do you all think? Let's all vote and say whether God's behind this or not. That's not what he means when he's talking about the wisdom of God being revealed through the church. But he is talking about us living in community where we have close, meaningful relationships. And we can discern that there are godly, mature people around us that we can look to so that I can say, Hey, Tony, man, there's this thing that I feel like God's put on my heart, but it's a pretty big deal. And I've been wrestling with this. I want to make sure this is the voice of the Lord. Can I run this by you? And I really want your honest feedback as to whether you sense that God is in that or not. Now, here's the catch in that. Everybody has Christian friends who are yes friends. You could say any kind of spiritual gobbledygook you wanted to. And they just go, mm-hmm, wow, that's wonderful. Isn't that interesting? Yes, I'll pray for you about that. And they'll just act like God is completely in it, no matter what kind of nonsense you may bring to them. You know what I'm talking about? We all know those people. And it doesn't do you a lick of good to use them as a test. They are not a part of God's system for keeping us on track. By the same token, hopefully we all know some people who walk with God and who live with enough integrity and speak with enough honesty that when they hear something that doesn't have the ring of truth to it, that they'll go, hold on. Let's talk about that because something about that doesn't feel right. Something doesn't sound right. Let's back up and reconsider that because something really troubles me when I hear you say that. Who do you know that would do that for you? Who do you know that's that honest? You don't have to run to them with everything that comes up in your mind. But when you've got a word and you're really wrestling with, is this from the Lord? Is this me? Is this the enemy? Is this God? You go to those kinds of people. Solomon said in Proverbs 11, verse 9, the wisdom of the righteous can save you. And it does. There's some times I wish that I had gone and run a word by the righteous. Can I tell you of a time that that really did happen in my life? And boy, did it save me. It's still saving me. When I was a very young man, I mean a newlywed, early, early 20-something man, went to a conference. I won't say who was leading the conference, but most of you would recognize the name because he did big national conferences. And just a segment of the teaching, he kind of went off on a tangent and really ran far and wide on the issue of birth control. And how it was a sin for any Christian to use birth control. It wasn't a Catholic conference, by the way. He took Psalm 127 and 128, took the truth of those verses and put just a little spin on them, which is the best way to deceive people. Take the truth and just spin it a quarter turn. Make it still sound like the truth. And he taught how it's a sin for all Christians, any Christians, to use birth control. Well, as a a younger adult, an impressionable young married man, that boy, that really... 
stuck for me and I'm wrestling with that. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, got married young. We're going to have 27 kids by the time we just naturally stop having kids. I mean, it was just stressing me out. It was killing me. But I'm like, got to be obedient to the word of the Lord. So we're going to start turning out babies. Thank the Lord that the counsel of the righteous saves us. Started running by some more mature, godly people. This truth that we had heard at this conference, and they're like able to go, whoa, 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 back up the truck. We need to talk about that and look at the whole counsel of God on this. And it got really okay with using birth control to the glory of God so that we didn't have 27 kids. Some of you don't appreciate how heavy that was, but I'm telling you, when you're 21 or 22 years old and you're thinking about the prospect of having babies for the next 20 years... You look back on that and realize how important it was that the council of the church spoke truth that overrode some false teaching. The council of the church will save you. He says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So if you have an impression, run it by mature godly people for counsel. And just remember this, if you're resistant to doing that, that's a red flag. If in your heart you don't want to run it by somebody that's godly, that would be willing to tell you if they think something's wrong with it, your unwillingness to do that should be a big red flag that there's something wrong here. And just remember that if a mature believer questions your word or your impression, you should question it too. doesn't mean it's absolutely wrong, but it means you better back up and press in to get clear on this. So, does it agree with the word of God? Does my church family confirm this? And thirdly, is the message consistent with how God shaped me? Now, this is the one that can actually save you a lot of money. Oh, it can. Because there are things that we think God's leading us to do something that we are not shaped to do. And it'll foul up a career or foul us up financially because we did not follow sound counsel on this. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Such a beautiful thing to consider, isn't it? That before God made you, He was thinking about you. And He was thinking about what He would do through you. So He shaped you a particular way. He gave you certain spiritual gifts, certain heart Uh, desires and inclinations, abilities, passions along the way, experiences that perfectly shaped you to do what he designed you to do. And he's not going to lead you to do things that are going to take you in the opposite direction. But the enemy will. The enemy recognizes your shape too. And so he wants to try and deceive you into chasing after things that's not what God made you for. It's not what God has led you to. So that it just keeps you off course. And where he's most deceptive and most effective is leading us down paths that in and of themselves are not evil. They're just a waste of our energy and attention because it's not what you were made to do. And it's not what you're good at doing. And it just keeps you busy And frustrated and exasperated because I'm so sure God led me to do this. I just felt this thing inside of me. It didn't come from me. It wasn't that I just naturally am good at this or wanted to do it. It had to be God leading me to do this. No, it didn't. Sometimes that thought alone gets us off track. I just, I felt this urge from somewhere that I was supposed to try this, that I was supposed to chase after this. And it couldn't have been me because I know I'm not good at it. So it must have been God, not necessarily. 
Who else can speak to you through your spirit? Who else has a reason for leading you down a road that does not seem to line up with your shape? Who would benefit from that? The enemy whose kingdom is pushed back every time the people of God operate in line with the plan and will of God. Y'all are looking at me a little bit like a calf at a new gate right now. Are y'all tracking with me on that? The enemy wants you to chase after things that you're not shaped to do. God doesn't want you to do something that you weren't shaped to do. I look around the stage and it's a conglomeration of all different things of, of different shapes. But let me just ask you, you know, by the shape of it, do you think that this is designed to sit on? I don't think so. Shape tells you much about function, doesn't it? How about this? You think that's designed to sit on? No. Shape informs function. But if I held up a chair... It's easy to go, oh, I see what you could do with that. It's soft. It suggests by its shape what you should do with it. God has given you a shape, and it informs how he wants you to function. In Romans 12, Paul said, God has given each of us an ability to do certain things well. So what are you good at? That's going to give you a pretty good lead toward what God's going to lead you to. What are you interested in? What are you drawn toward? And what are you not good at? That's going to help you out a lot. Sometimes we're slow to figure out what we're good at, but we're quick to recognize what we're not good at. I'm not good at anything artistic or musical. I love great art. I love great music. And I can barely clap in rhythm. Much less, I mean... Playing the radio is as far as I can go toward playing any instrument. That is it. So can I just tell you with pretty deep conviction, the Holy Spirit is never going to just lead me that I need to become a worship leader or that I need to replace Stuart playing lead guitar in the band. Because y'all are going to want to go to church somewhere else if I start doing that. Or y'all going to want to show up for church 30 minutes late. It'll be bad. It'll be ugly. And that may sound silly or absurd. I'm telling you, this is practical stuff because there are going to be times the enemy is going to try and give you an impression that feels... Remember, Jesus said Satan will appear as an angel of light, pretending to be God, pretending to be a messenger of God. And he's going to lead you towards something good that is not from God and you've got to test it. I will never forget a young man who in the early days when we were first church planting, not here, but prior church... And he pulled me aside because he had a word from God for himself that he just wanted to share with me. And he said, I just want you to know, God's given me a vision of what it is I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to be a worship leader. He said, he's shown me what it's going to be like. And he said, I'm just going to be honest with you. He has not called me to lead hundreds in worship. He's called me to lead thousands in worship. He's just given me a heart for this and a gift for this that I'm going to lead thousands at a time in worship. And I'm listening to this thinking, dude, I've heard you sing. I don't know what he's called you to do, but I know what he hadn't called you to do. You can't sing. Sometimes it's not that complicated. And it's been 20 years, and I was right and he was wrong. I mean, sometimes... You've just got to listen to the counsel of the church and consider how God has shaped you. 
I think some of us live scared that if we ever just totally surrender to God, He's going to make us do something we're scared to death of and not good at. And I'll just tell you, I mean, yes, God will sometimes lead you to do things that are scary in the sense that they're bigger than what you could do apart from God's power. That's fine because His power is going to come through when you're obedient. But He's not going to lead you to do things that are just a total mismatch for your gifts. And you will find your greatest joy and fulfillment being what God shaped you to be. Fourth test, fourth question. Is the message convicting or condemning? Now, again, you don't have to ask all these questions about every word. But sometimes you're going to feel a word or an impression that is a, you know, a correctional or, or convicting or condemning word. And you need to, to pause and consider in those moments, is this a condemning word or a convicting word? Because there is a difference. You see, conviction comes from God. That's His Spirit exposing what's wrong and saying, essentially, this needs to change. This is destructive. This is unhealthy. This doesn't line up with the character of God and who He's making you to be. That's very specific. Condemnation comes from Satan. And it attacks your value. It says, you are worthless. You're no Christian. Do you think God actually loves somebody who does what you do? That's the voice of the enemy. That is not the voice of God. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Understand this. Condemnation is like a, a dark cloud. It's just vague and it just hangs over you. Conviction is very different from that. Conviction is like a laser beam. It points to a specific behavior or practice calling for change. And conviction is lifted the moment that we repent. Because you see, God's done with that the moment that we confess it and put it under the blood. He's never going to bring it up again. It's the condemnation of the devil that keeps coming back saying, you were such a rotten person for doing that. And you know what? You you didn't just get drunk that one night. You are a drunk. You're a drunk. And God would never love a drunk. That's not conviction. You repent of it. God's never bringing it back up. But the condemnation of the enemy is just going to come again and again. Revelation 3.19, Jesus says this, Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten them, so be enthusiastic and repent. And when we do, he's done talking about that. And conviction will go away, but condemnation doesn't. You see, the devil understands that a lot of us struggle with terrible self-image, just low self-image, and so he plays off of that. Pretending to be the voice of the Lord. And so we'll, we'll live with this awful dark cloud of feeling like God doesn't really love me. God's just really disappointed in me. Because of this failure that I just can't seem to get out of my mind. That ain't God that's bringing it to mind for you again and again. That's the voice of the enemy. And I'll point out one more thing to you about how Satan speaks to you. How his demons speak to you. Before you commit a sin... The voice of the enemy is minimizing the effect of that sin. And once you do it, he is maximizing that sin. You think about that one. Before you do it, he's saying, no big deal. Why are you even worried about that? Everybody does that. It's not a big deal. Everybody has sex before marriage. Everybody, everybody plays around. Everybody parties. Everybody, every, until you do it. And once you've done it, he changes his message altogether. And says, that was horrible that you did that. You are such a loser. You are so pathetic. 
He minimizes before and he maximizes after. That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of condemnation. Which brings us to the fifth and final test, which is, do I sense God's peace about this? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Satan loves to try and drive us compulsively, and he's really good at it. But God draws us compassionately. Satan understands that most of us have got a little OCD wired into us. And he tries to, to play off of that. He tries to play off of the, the guilt that's built into us because we had a, a, you know, a dominant parent who just made us feel bad all the time. or you know, Whatever it is that's pre-wired into us. And that is not how God works at all. God is a God of peace. And when he speaks and we hear it and respond to it, it brings peace. Peter Lord says that 90% of what God says to us is encouragement. That's a wonderful truth. Some of us just need to let that one line sink in. I don't know how you quantify that, but I don't think he's far off base. 90% of what God says to you is encouragement for you. Some of us don't believe that could be true because we've lived under so much condemnation and we've mistaken so much of that as being the voice of God. But you see, God's a loving parent. There's nobody who's ever loved you as much as God loves you. There's nobody who sees the best in you the way that God sees the best in you. And so as the ideal parent, God is encouraging you. He's coaching you up. He's talking you up. When he's speaking to you, 90% of it is positive stuff. It's going to minister to your spirit and bring peace to your heart. If you just hear what he's saying. But there's a key limitation on this last one. If we could be honest and we sort of poll the room and said, okay, of these five tests, which one do you use most often to sort of test any word or impression from the Lord? I'll guarantee you number five would be by far the most common answer that you get. Well, do you have a piece about it? In fact, we'll ask each other that a lot. When somebody will say, you know, I feel like maybe I'm supposed to do this. And if we actually take them to task, that's usually about as far as we'll go. Do you have a piece about it? Well, peace is a test because God is a God of peace. And when we hear his word and we respond to it, it does bring peace. Although, a couple of caveats here. For one, ultimately it brings peace, but sometimes it brings peace with fear and trembling. Sometimes it brings peace with also a sense of, oh, this is scary. This, this is huge. This is bigger than me. I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane is a part of the process of Jesus being obedient in the biggest way he ever was in his entire life. And peace is the one word that does not describe what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Would you agree? There are moments when you are doing what God calls you to do that peace is not the word that comes to mind. You need deep faith because the situation feels so big. So remember that there are some limitations to the issue of peace. And here's one of the biggest ones. In matters of the heart, you cannot trust this test. I know I'm, I'm about out of time, but you need to make sure you get this one down pat. In matters of the heart, you cannot trust the test of peace. What I mean by that is just this. If it's something that you really, really, really want, and especially if it is a romantic issue, if it is about a romantic relationship, you completely throw out the peace test because your peaceometer is broken in romantic situations. It doesn't work. I'm telling you a fact. 
I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with people. They will be in a relationship they have no business being in. Or they're going down a road in a relationship. They absolutely, as a follower of Christ, have no business going down. But they just have, they prayed about it and they've just got peace about it. they just got a peace. Are you kidding me? God's not going to contradict His Word. God's not going to lead you into an unhealthy relationship. I don't care how much peace you've got. You can't judge by your peace. You're not feeling peace. You're feeling sexual attraction. It's better than peace in that moment. It's like a drug. And it warps our thinking. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is a big deal. Mamas and daddies and grandmothers and granddaddies, you better get this truth down pat and you better speak it to your kids. Because we, there's no bigger decision, other than choosing to follow Christ, there's no bigger decision that we'll make than who we love and who we commit the rest of our lives to. And we will get so far off from the will of God because we had a peace about it. What we had was a huge hormonal eruption that led us into something that turned physical and now we feel bound to this person and we prayed about it and had peace. That is when we must say, your heart will lie to you in a romantic relationship or when you just feel so strong that I've got to have this, I've got to do this. Your heart's broken in that regard so I have to use the other four tests. Does it line up with the Word of God? And the other really big one, what does the church say? Who do I know that I can trust, that, I can, that they'll tell me the hard truth, that I can say, let me tell you the good and bad about this situation and about this relationship. Now, you tell me the truth. Do you think that I'm off base, that I feel like God's led me to do this? And if they say, yes, you're way off base, you need to turn and run. Turn and run! The good news in all of this is very simple. God is speaking. And you can know his voice. And you can live with confidence that you're operating in what he's telling you to do. And there is great joy and great peace in that. And just as you had to learn to recognize language through these ears, and it took you time, it's going to take you time to consistently discern the voice of the Lord. But he's given you some things to help. His word and his church and understanding yourself. But God is speaking. Are you tuned into what he's saying? And are you testing what you hear? I'm going to invite you to bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you love us and that you don't call us to a religion, that you call us into this dynamic relationship with yourself. And so we ask that today, as an expression of that, that you would speak fresh words across the room. Now I want to ask you right now, as you're just in a moment of reflection... I ask you first of all, is there a, a situation, a decision, a relationship, a circumstance that you've been wrestling with that it would just help you immensely if you had an answer on? And if nothing just immediately comes to mind, let me ask the question a different way. If Jesus showed up in the flesh here today and he stood at the front of the room and he said, all right, I want you all to make a single file line. I'm going to let you all ask me one question about your life. And I'm going to give you a clear answer to it, but you get one question. What would you ask Jesus today? Not some existential question, a practical question about life, about your life, about your family, about your future, about your career, whatever it is. What would you ask Jesus today? Okay, now here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to ask him now. 
is here. His spirit is here. And he wants to speak into our lives, our families, our circumstances. And Tony's just going to play and sing over us. And I want you to just listen. I'm going to invite you for at least a little bit. Just don't even sing along. Just listen. There are going to be folks as always here at the front. If you need somebody to pray with you and over you or minister to you, we would love to do that. But if that's not the case, would you listen for his voice? Ask him candidly. And if what he, sh- he may show you an image, and you may not understand right off what that is. Ask him. Ask him to show you what that means, to tell you what that means. Would you just listen for the voice of the Lord in this time?
you poured out like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty. Be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness, finding myself at a loss for words and the funny things is so Jesus, we receive what you say to us today by your Spirit, and we choose to believe what you say. We say yes in obedience to you, and where you've spoken things that seem to go beyond what we can manufacture or make happen, by faith we just hold on to to what you say. Lord, help us to see how to live out what you're speaking into our lives, and help us to be a people who seek hard after you every day. We welcome your continued work. And your continued speaking into our lives, we receive that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.